You're listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. Today we're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes um, chapter 9, and it'll be verse 13 through Ecclesiastes 11, um, 6. So yeah, and then Matt's going to lead us through um, and dive into the text. So yeah, I'll get started. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king, a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the ax is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, and fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant, and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness the rafters sag because of idle hands the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry and money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a bird in the sky may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. 
Whoever watches the winds will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb. So you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed. Whether this or that or whether both will do equally well. Thanks, fellas, and good afternoon, everyone. Um, do keep this uh, passage open because we're going to be trekking through it. There's a lot in it, so we're going to be working quite fast as I want to pick up uh, some of the highlights, some of the big themes across it. Uh, my name is, is Matt. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm one of the leaders at City Church, and it's my privilege to take us through this next in our series in Ecclesiastes. But before we begin, why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We do thank you that you give us your word. And that means we can have every confidence that you will speak to each one of us. No matter the circumstances we're in, no matter what we've been through, no matter what goes ahead of us in the week or the month to come, we trust that in your provision, in your sovereign care, that the words that we will hear today will give us both challenge and encouragement. Open our minds, give us clarity to receive your message, and give us the wisdom and the knowledge of how to apply it best to the details of our lives. Amen. A number of years ago, myself and Jackie, my wife, were, were on a, a, a holiday, and um, it was uh, in a distant country, and we were coming back on the aeroplane, and we were landing at London Luton. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a, it's a reasonable airport. But on that particular day, the weather was awful. As we came across the, uh, the coast into UK uh, waters, it, it, was, it was horrendous storms, high winds. The rain lashed the aircraft. And we were in a situation where the turbulence was so strong and so violent, the captain warned us, you've got to take your seats. Uh, you've got to have your seatbelts on. This is going to be a rough few minutes. Well, we were coming in to landing, and the plane was doing all of the checks. And as we were kind of heading down towards the runway, the wind was buffeting even more, and the carriage of the aircraft was literally shuddering, and you could feel the vibrations. And there was a kind of eerie silence, as there often is when planes come down uh, to their landing approach. But this one had an intensity to it with all the passengers on the aircraft. The, um, the ground was heading towards us at a phenomenal pace. And the wind and the rain was not only lashing the aircraft, but you could see from as you were heading closer to the runway that it was, as far as you could tell, pooling on the strip. And so we were counting down in our minds, second by second, to when the plane would touch down. And then we suddenly hit the ground. In that moment, and it was literally a split second, it was one of those split seconds that lasts, well, it lasts an eternity when you're in the middle of it, 
as the tires of the plane touched down, something was wrong. The plane began to skid across the runway. And before we knew it, the uh, pilot had put on the thrusters and had taken off at a high velocity, at a really extreme angle. And all of us, just by the G-force and sudden extreme shaking of the aircraft, were thrown back into our seats. There were screams from right across uh, the, uh, the aircraft. And, and we did not know what was going to happen. We, the, we had nothing that we could do. We weren't in front of the controls. We couldn't see clearly what was going on, only what you could see out of those tiny windows. But in the moment, in the moment, it was absolutely terrifying. It was one of those moments where you can only hold the hand of your loved one tighter than perhaps you've ever held it before and pray that this moment won't be your last. As it happens, the pilot did a wonderful job and brought us down safely on second attempt. But if I was to summarize that experience, and you can tell, can't you, it's kind of emblazoned into my mind and memory, there were two words that I would use to summarize it. One was a sense of powerlessness, and the other was a sense of uncertainty, not knowing what the future held. Now, of all the fears that all of us go through at any and various times, those two fears, powerlessness and uncertainty of the future, I think are two of the heartbeat fears that all of us struggle with a lot. Well, these are the two fears that we're going to be talking about today. And our world, really, our secular world, has three solutions when those two fears raise their heads in our lives. Number one, when you find yourself powerless and uncertain about the future, you can take control by force. You can take control by force. Number two, you could despair. You could give up. You could find it just too overwhelming. Or thirdly, Thirdly, you could try and regain control by stealth. That is, by a skilled application of wisdom. Despair, force, or stealth. Do you see the importance of this topic today? I think this topic, of all the topics perhaps we've looked at in Ecclesiastes, this one comes to the very heart over the challenges that you're facing in your life right now. Now, as Ralph mentioned last week, Quaheleth, who's the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's the one who is giving all of these kind of wise sayings, is observing the world under the sun. That is, he, he's trying to make sense of how do you thrive in this world how do you make sense of this world? How do you find happiness in the world if you were to take um, a, a loving, personal God who wants a relationship with you out of the equation? If you had to take that completely out of the equation, how do you make sense of finding joy in the world? And that's what Quaheleth is trying to do in the book of Ecclesiastes. And today he's going to explore from his perspective, from his perspective, these two fears that every single one of us struggle with. 
What do you do if you're powerless? What do you do if you struggle with uncertainty about the future? Well, let me take us to our first one. Advice for the powerless. Advice for the powerless. Now, many of you will be aware um, through the documentaries or various bits and pieces in the news, I guess, over the last year or so, of the many people who came from the Caribbean to immigrate to the UK to settle here. Well, my, um, my mother came from Guyana to the UK. She wasn't part of the original uh, Windrush uh, ship and, and group. She immigrated to England in around 1972, and her parents had arrived in the UK in, in the early 60s. And when she arrived in the UK, she settled down in Suffolk. And she, she really couldn't get any kind of very well-paying jobs. The only work that she could really find was effectively working in, in a sweatshop in Suffolk. It was a place where she was, her job was literally to iron clothes that were being created and sent out. But you know, in time, through enduring terrible conditions, through being in a part of the UK where some people welcomed them, other people despised them, very small Caribbean community, in time, she was able to get and education. Beyond that, she was able to get trained. And beyond that, she was able to get on a program that would train her to be a nurse in the NHS. And that was a really big deal. It was a huge deal for her because for the first time, it meant having a job like that, she would have somewhat of a, a stable income. Great news. But more importantly, more importantly than that, working for the NHS for her meant that she now had some small status, some small sense of control over her life, some small way that she could live in a country where she felt that the odds were stacked against her. Now, if, if you've ever experienced what it's like to move from the country you were born in to live in another country, and I know many of you have done that or many of your families have done that, I know that's the case here at City Church, you will know exactly what it means to, to feel powerless. You will know that feeling. You will know what it feels like when your voice seems like it is less important than the voices of those around you. If you've ever been through that situation, you'll know what it's like when actually, when everyone else seems to be pursuing happiness, you're pursuing survival just to get by. Well, Koheleth in chapter 10 offers advice to the powerless. He offers advice to level the playing field when going against, I don't know, the established elite, government authorities, or even your boss. And his advice is this. Being wise is always better than being powerful. 
because the wise live longer than the foolish. And in a world, in his world, where there is no real understanding of heaven, then the best you can hope for is to live as long as you possibly can. But more than that, in Koheleth's mind, the wise, in time, if they wait, if they work hard, will one day become the powerful. Now, do you remember at the very beginning, I said there were three possible responses to powerlessness, despair, force, and stealth. Well, Koheleth cautions against the first two. But he says instead, a wise person will take back power through stealth. For example, look with me at verse 9. He says, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Quiet words, through stealth, you'll survive, you'll endure, you'll take back power. Or chapter 10, verse 4, he says this, if a, ruler, if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness, calmness can lay great offenses to rest. And what he's talking about there is you've got to learn to be non-reactive. And he's going to say to us in these passages that there's... Two ways to do that predominantly. One is watch your tongue. That's the first way that he says you can be stealthily wise when you are powerless. Watch your tongue. He, he references in chapter 10, verse 13, at the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness. He's talking about the unwise there. Now, verse 14, he says, fools multiply their words. And what he's talking about there is the caution that I think many of us can appreciate, that those who are foolish, those who are unwise, often in positions of responsibility, maybe we've been on the, the wrong side of a boss or a supervisor who has thrown their power around through hard words, but it's very easy to see how it ha happens, isn't it? All of a sudden, you have a kind of negative attitude towards someone. You say a couple of things to other people about them that's negative, and all of a sudden, your heart starts to roll towards feeling aggressive towards them, withdrawn against them, and you find yourself in a posture where you will use your own power, your own force to injure them, hurt them, or bring some form of injustice against them, and you will write it off simply as, well, I'm just saying as it is. I'm just doing what they would do to me. Koheleth then criticizes those who would use force, heavy force, in order to try and regain power. He's talking to those amongst us who would be considered, I don't know, the hotheads or the revolutionaries. Those of you who would wake up in the morning and say, Viva la revolution! Or those of you perhaps more modern musical enjoyers would say, I'm not throwing away my shot. Whatever it is you might say in the morning. He's talking to you guys, right? He's talking to you guys. And what he would say in chapter 10 in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11 is he gives examples of all sorts of activity that requires immense effort 
immense force, immense kind of go-getting enthusiasm. But he says, using force without wisdom, without care, without skill, actually can lead to self-harm. It's interesting, all of these jobs uh, referenced in those verses describe jobs of a low status, low income. Um, they are all jobs that a powerless person would be likely to do in Koheleth's community at the time. And Koheleth's examples are digging a pit, mining stone, chopping wood, and snake handling. Now, they might have all been kind of very typical jobs back when he was writing, but as you can imagine, they're not so relevant in Manchester, are they? But let me try and update these uh, a little bit for us. What about those of you who try and gain power and status? through putting all of your energy into your work, into your job. And what you do is you put all of your force, all of your energy, all of the best of your ideas and the best of yourself into that project at work, even at the cost of your evenings and your weekends and your quiet times, even your church attendance, hanging out with friends and even your relationships with spouses or children, and you do it. Project goes really well. You pass the course. You get the promotion. You did it. But all of that effort comes at the cost that your family, your marriage has crumbled, your health is gone, and your friendship group has moved on since you've been away. Koheleth would say, look, caution, caution, caution about just rushing in. He's talking about parents who would pour out the last dregs of their sleepless energy in worrying their children, cajoling their children, pushing and protecting their child into becoming the adult they want them to become. And their child grows up and they become that grown-up, responsible, well-educated adult. But at a cost that that child no longer wants anything to do with you as the parent. For all of your pushing, for all of your force, it all comes to nothing. Kohelet's advice to those of you who are powerless is don't despair, don't use force, restrain. Restrain. Be cool. Stay calm and carry on. Slow and steady wins the race. I wonder what you make of all of that. What's Koheleth's advice to those of you who would struggle with powerlessness? Well, come with me to advice to those who struggle with the uncertainty of the future. You see, if the advice to those who are powerless is to use stealth, self-control, what about when you face a future where you don't know what's coming around the corner and it makes you anxious? Well, for some of us being in that situation, and we're all going to respond to this in different ways because this affects all of us, doesn't it? For some of us, the overwhelming, the overwhelming vulnerability, that's the word, isn't it? 
of uncertainty of the future. It can lead to despair. It can lead to paralysis. It can lead to freezing. It can lead to not making decisions. It can lead to saying constantly, let's not make a decision right now. I need more information. I need more information. I need more information. For others, faced with the uncertainty of the future, that type of kind of rage against uncertainty can trigger a reflex within you to conquer. If I'm not sure what's going to have I'm going to come my way, if I'm not going to show what's going to be facing me, then I'm going to take control. I'm going to take initiative. I'm going to make sure that I am at the front of the queue because that is the best way to protect myself against whatever's coming down the line. But again, Koheleth underlines what he thinks is the wise way to deal with uncertainty, and that is stealth. It is the skilled application of wisdom. It is the stealth-like, self-disciplined decision-making. It is to look at the options and carefully make considered choices. I think for Koheleth, he's... um, you know, some of you probably do this, don't you? I don't want to offend you, but you know in offices, you often have motivational posters. You know, there'll be an eagle or a waterfall or an ant carrying a big leaf or something like that. I think Quaheleth's office motivational poster would be work smarter, not harder. I think, I think that's what he would have on his office. Now, this section on uncertainty in our Bibles, is bookended by two verses. Chapter 10, verse 14. I'm saying this so you know where we are. And chapter 11, verse 5. These are two parallel verses in our Bibles that kind of bookend this section on uncertainty. So 10.14 says, no one knows what's coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? And at the end of the section, 11.5, it says, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So in the middle of that section, what is the wisdom that Koheleth is telling us? Well, I think it's summarized well in chapter 10 verses 16 and 17. Because these verses instruct us, firstly, to meet the anxiety of uncertainty by having a regular life, by investing in sustainable rhythms. It's very practical advice, isn't it? Look with me at um, chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. This is the first thing he says. The, the reference to princes feasting in the morning is not a cautionary tale about having a full English breakfast. I am relieved to hear that. It is a caution. It is a caution against those in responsibility who do not have healthy and sustainable rhythms. In fact, actually, the big idea of these verses and the examples they give is to make the point that if you live a chaotic life where your life is all about unplanned, it's all about spontaneity, it's all about making things up as you go along, Koheleth's caution to you is that you will really struggle to cope and adapt when things go wrong. So the second instruction he gives, that was the first one, the second instruction he gives to cope with the anxiety of uncertainty of the future, is be proactive. Be proactive. Now, look with me at verse 18 of chapter 10. Uh, Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle house, the hands 
uh, the house leaks. That's kind of fairly self-explanatory, isn't it? In other words, you've got to be proactive. Don't procrastinate. Don't do something tomorrow that could be done today. Don't wait for disaster to come upon you or your family or your relationships or your work before you actually do something. Don't bury your head in the sand. And the third instruction that he gives to help cope with the anxiety of uncertain futures is, get this, take considered risk. Take considered risk. Look with me at chapter 11, verse 1. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Now, for for those of you who are perhaps kind of our older beloved members of the City Church community, and we love having you here, you probably recognize that translation more as cast your bread upon the water, because that's often how it's previously been translated. It's a proverb that actually springs up in Egyptian wisdom literature, uh, and Koheleth has brought it into Ecclesiastes, and it's likely to mean take a risk because something good is likely to happen. Take a risk, because something good is likely to happen. It's literally saying, take your bread, which symbolizes life and value, your family can feed off this, put it away from you, put it on the water, it's a risk, and it will come back to you in a good return. It will go well with you if you do that. So take a considered risk. Now, for some of you thinking, yes, good advice. Other of you thinking, that sounds terrible. Well, Koheleth, he he does caveat this exhortation to take a risk by, look with me at chapter 11, verse 2, by saying this, you've got to take some risks in life, absolutely, even though you don't know the future, but, but be wise and spread your bets. Or in other words, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. That's what uh, verse 2 of chapter 11 means. Don't put the full weight of your resources, of your, your, your trust or your life on one thing that might let you down. So as a bit of a, a summary of what his advice is to those of you who struggle with anxiety of the future, and I am totally in that category, Koheleth says, keep things stable and avoid chaos. Always be on the front foot and take risks, but don't entrust your full weight to any one thing. That is for him what it means to be stealthy wise. Now, here's the thing. That is all good advice, isn't it? It's all good advice. It's all very sensible advice. But is it actually enough to make you happy? Because that's really what we're all about, aren't we? Is it really enough to give you the the, the deep peace that you really want in life? Well, come with me to our third and final point, the radical gift of the gospel. Koheleth's advice to the anxious and the overwhelmed is to pin your trust, your happiness in life, on being smarter than the person next to you. Work harder than the person next to you. Not extravagantly, but in gentle and sensible, rational ways. Be more controlled than the person next to you. Be more self-disciplined than the person next to you. Be more relentless than the person next to you. Because what Quaheleth wants to say, that when you are feeling powerless and when you are facing the uncertainty of the future, it's all in your hands. 
It's all in your hands. You can do it. So long as you're better than your, your neighbor, so long as you're better than your neighbor, you can do it. Well, hear this. This is the philosopher David Foster Wallace. And I'll summarize it before I read the quote. And the summary is this. That does not work. Hear what he says. Worship power. You will feel weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Wallace says, it just doesn't work. You try and play that game of being better than the person next to you about having so much control in your hands where it's all about you and you will never have enough and it will crush you when you're disappointed. So what then should we do? Well, last week, because I was away on holiday last week, but last week I was listening back to Ralph and Ralph mentioned his, uh, his favorite film, which was a Wonderful Life. I know you remember these things. And so I thought, actually, what I would do today, is it's my turn, is I would, I would share with you one of my favorite films before you get too judgy. It's one of them. Okay, I'm not saying it's the favorite. It's one of them. And I thought I would, I would mention it so that you could, you know, judge who's the most cultured out of Ralph and I. And so he said it's A Wonderful Life, film classic, like it, Christmas royalty. Uh, mine is National Treasure. That's right, National Treasure. Uh, for those of you who have not had the pleasure of this film and the wonderful performance of uh, Nicolas Cage, it's basically these treasure hunters that go around uh, and they discover on these ancient artifacts, on these old maps, on these old documents, on these old buildings, encoded into them by the creators, the writers, the architect, were these messages that for years and years and years have been ignored or misunderstood, and underneath the dust, when you kind of look at what the message says, suddenly it gives you a clue that leads you, and you follow, you follow, you follow, to this incredible treasure. It's a great film, you should watch it. Well, here's the thing, interwoven, interwoven within our very Bibles, within the very scripture that you have open in front of you, sometimes known by the writer, but sometimes not known by the writer. Sometimes it's literally just encoded by God. There are little clues to grasping more fully, more incredibly, more wonderfully the wonder of the treasure of the gospel. And one of these clues, unknown to Quaheleth, but gifted by God for us today, nestled quietly in this passage for thousands of years beneath the dust, waiting for us to discover it, is a little clue that points to the wonder of the gospel in a fresh way. Do you want to see it? Look with me first, because there's, there's two. Look with me at chapter 10, verse 16. Chapter 10, verse 16 of Ecclesiastes. It's a throwaway line. It says this, Woe to the land whose king was a servant. 
Now, Koheleth in this particular bit is saying, look, it's really bad news if your king is a servant. This is terrible news if your king is a servant. But those of us who know our Bibles, those of us who have perhaps been Christians a while, and we remember actually the king who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, who said that I have not come to rule but to serve, we kind of go, oh, actually the most blessed are those whose king is exactly a servant. But come with me to another part. Come with me to chapter 9, verses 13 to 16. It was the very first part of the passage that was read by the fellows. Chapter 9, 13 to 16. Now, Quaheleth opens this section on wisdom for the underdog with a story of a tiny city that encounters overwhelming military force that surrounds it. So I want you to picture the scene. Tanks are at the door. Helicopters with searchlights are scouring the buildings. It seems like inevitable defeat is is just around the corner. They're going to have to surrender. There's nothing that they can do. And then we're told, a wise man. A wise man steps in and does something clever, and the city wins the victory, and the great enemy is defeated, and everyone is safe. Now, Koheleth gets slightly annoyed by this because he likes the idea of someone being wise, winning a great victory when they're powerless. But he's frustrated because the, the, the wise person in this story doesn't get a kind of celebration or a medal. Do you remember the end of Star Wars, the big medal ceremony? and the music? They, they don't get that here. The tragedy for Koheleth is that the wise saviour of the people is utterly forgotten. But wonderfully, wonderfully, this is a precise picture of Jesus. Do you see that? You see, Jesus is the ultimate wise, poor man who fought against overwhelming power, the overwhelming power of sin, that is the rebellion against God and death that kills everyone. And he fought and he won, not through bringing his own army, not through more force or violence, but through wisdom, through self-control. And in the face of suffering, he was non-reactive. In the face of suffering, he was silent before his accusers and he laid down his life on a cross so that all his people could win a great victory of eternal life over death. Jesus is the one who had all of the power and chose to give it away and live in poverty and became a pawn to be used and abused by the political authorities of the time and the influences of the day. And the incredible thing is that Jesus said, living like that was better. Why does that matter? Because Jesus had all of the control. He had all of the control over his own personal safety. And what did he do? He just gave it away. And Jesus, who brought order from chaos when he created the world, lived amongst the messy. And he lived amongst the chaotic. And he said that it was better. He said it was better. And whereas Quaheleth says, 
Don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Don't entrust yourself to one thing that could let you down. Jesus says to us, look, you don't know the future. And you don't know what threat is coming around the corner. But I want you to put the full weight of your trust on me. Put the full weight of your life on my rescue. Why does that really matter to those of us who struggle with powerlessness or uncertainty? I think it's because of this. Jesus says, if that is you, if that's how you feel right now, Jesus says to you, stay in that place a little longer. Ralph, last week, so helpfully quoted from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, which is Jesus' response to the teachings of Ecclesiastes. And two things to pick out there. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you remember that? Literally meaning the good life is for those who have no agency, because theirs is the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus says, blessed are the meek, literally. He says, the good life is for those who have no power. And he says this because only those who recognize that they are powerless and that they are vulnerable to the future, only those can actually see who Jesus really is. Isn't that a surprise? Let me turn up the volume on that a little bit. Only those of you here today or watching online who feel utterly desperate that you're not smart enough, you don't have the money, you don't have the qualifications or the opportunities to get to where you want to be in life, only you who are desperate can actually see Jesus for who he is and have your heart wander. Because only you who are desperate will be drawn towards Jesus to trust him, to depend upon him. Do you see that? Only you who are desperate will see Jesus with his arms open saying, come, I love you. And I will hold you through this life and take you to eternity where there will be no more tears and no more pain. Only you who are desperate can see that Jesus and adore him for it. The rest of you who are not desperate think you can get there by yourself. It's wonderful news because those of you who are here today and you feel utterly broken and utterly powerless and full of anxiety and you're not sure what to do, you have probably been told all your life that your brokenness disqualifies you from having a good life. That until you are normal like everyone else, somehow the best parts of the life that God has given you will not be available to you. And what you need to do is get fixed as fast as you can so you can be like everyone else. And actually, that's just not true. There is a privilege for you who feel the weight of powerlessness and the anxiety of the uncertainty of the future, because for you, and you alone, is the gift of seeing the love of Jesus 
in ways that the rest of us could never imagine. Let me finish with this. Here at City Church, we are a community that many in our city, I think, would like to get rid of because of what we teach and what we believe. By the world's standards, the ministries that we have at City Church, we're doing our best and we could do better, I know that, and we enjoy doing them, don't we? But from the world's eyes, they're very unimpressive. In 12 months' time, approximately, and I know many of you know this, due to decisions outside of our control, because of our powerlessness, we must find a new venue in the city centre to meet in, as this place undergoes a refurbishment for for a number of years. I used to think, as pastor of this church, that our messiness, our many inconveniences, our eccentricities of this church was something to be absolutely embarrassed about. But I have grown to learn to realize that our messiness the craziness of our lives, the fact that we look at each other and say there's never a dull Sunday because something's always going on that is never neat or convenient or easy because of our often painful experience of Chavel. Actually, that is our deep, deep privilege, not our embarrassment, because all of those things actually draw us closer and closer to Jesus, which is exactly where we want to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you care for us amongst our responses to powerlessness, amongst our responses to the anxiety of uncertain futures. And you don't simply tell us to buck up our ideas or try harder, but you offer us one in the Lord Jesus who became like us, submitting himself to powers and authorities here on earth, to die on a cross, so that we would know that we not only have one in the Lord Jesus who understands our pain, but one in the Lord Jesus who can rescue us from it. I ask that you would help us not despise the discomfort that many of us are in this afternoon. But may we see it with fresh eyes. Let that not grow bitterness in our hearts when we feel powerless or uncertain. But may it grow our love and our dependence upon our God who delights in us and who holds us by the hand and leads us into a future where there will be no more death, no more mourning, and no more pain.